Hello, everyone. I'm Alex Majorana. And I'm Sydney Lynch. And this is Little Known Tracks. This week, we talk to the Lower Etna, a Philly-based anthem rock band. What started with writing at reading time, his passion for storytelling was first showcased with his Lord of the Rings fanfic. His first foray into music was making soft rock with some of his best friends in the band currently on hiatus, Honeyjar. The Lower Etna has created an outlet for his storytelling, diving deep into stories driven by characters that reflect real life. He's currently working on his second album, Pine, which will focus on the stories of queer people struggling to find happiness in their everyday life. Without further ado, QAnon Mom by The Lower Etna. Yeah. 
Dylan Gallimore, the Lower Etna. Thank you so much for being on with us tonight. Thanks for having me on. Super excited to do it. So the first thing that we wanted to ask you a little bit about was screenwriting and filmmaking. So you've written and directed three short films and you've been in like awards and stuff. So give us a little bit of the general gist of what you do now and kind of how you got to a place where you're making short films. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so I, um, I just really love stories. I know that's, I know it's like, it's, it might sound silly to hear. It certainly feels silly to say. Um, but I don't know when I was a teenager, I really got into film. Like I really got into films. Um, and I got to a point, I think in my life, I mean, I write, I write feature length screenplays. I've written some TV pilots, but I, I know enough about myself as a writer now to know that like features are where my heart is. Um, and I got to a point, I think in my life where I kind of thought like, well, if I want to be a filmmaker or if I even want to call myself a filmmaker, I should probably make a film. And I got there on the last day of February in 2020. So just about like two weeks before, oh <laughs> yeah, before filmmaking kind of specifically as a pastime was halted. Um, but uh, yeah, so th I mean, that's where I started. I mean, I, I wrote and directed all three films of the shorts that I did. Um, the first one is a comedy called A Coach's Duty. The second one is a, a queer sci-fi drama called Total Darkness. And the third is a, a mockumentary called Survivor. Um, I wrote and directed them all, but I had a ton of help and I made a lot with the same people. It was it was a, a ton of fun, um, great learning experience. And I could go on about it, but uh, but yeah, that's the story on the shorts. I they, they, were, they were a real, real ton of fun to make. And I learned a lot and also... I'm kind of chilling on making shorts now because it's a lot of work. But that really, the different topics of each of them really showcase a range of your writing and uh, different stories to be told. So what was the inspiration behind maybe each of them and how those stories developed and came to be? Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, so my sense of humor is real stupid. It's like extra stupid. Um, so I, I don't know. I think I had this, this conception where, with comedy, it's like, if you don't know what to write, just write whatever's funniest, like whatever makes you laugh the hardest, right? Like if you don't know what to write and it's a little, it's a little trickier with drama, right? If drama, if you don't know what to write, it's like, well, write whatever like furthers your character's evolution toward the theme of the, of the, of the film, which isn't always as obvious as like a stupid joke might be. Um, so I started the first one, a coach's duty, we shot in one day in one house um, and it's a cast of three and it's about it's and it takes place over the course of basically over the course of like a single night into the morning. And it's a story about a um, a football coach who fakes his death to inspire his team, which is actually which is a real thing that happens. I can't believe that that's true, but it is true. There it's like once a decade. I'm telling you, if you Google this, you'll find a couple instances. Of this. Once a decade, there's like a high school or college football coach who either fakes his death or fakes like an assault or something. Like he fakes some to try to like 
bring the team together and it's and it's the funniest thing in the world to me it's like you're so on one you have to be so just so in your head like you know what the team needs like uh we stage me getting shot uh you and know that'll the like team bring needs them together trauma <laughs> like, nothing right. bond somebody right. like a like trauma yeah oh my I, god I played football in high school and like I can attest to it. It is such football guy brain. It's like total like high school sports. Like I'm going to I'm going to basically like traumatize 90 90 suburban boys to win like the county playoff game. You know, it's just ridiculous. Oh, my God. Yeah, that is um, insane behavior, but <laughs> got to find humor in something. Yeah, but. <laughs> And when there are so many like there are so many like neighborhood dad types who are just like that's what it takes to win, that's that C Coach Stevens he's he's molding our boys into men and Coach Stevens is like in the office like late at night dreaming up ways to fake his death like the whole thing is really really funny to me. Um, oh my god! Yeah, so that that was the first one, and we most I mostly went with it first because I thought it was funny. I thought it was you know I I had. So I, I said I played football, so I had I had like a view into that world. And like I wanted to mock it, and it seemed doable. Like I said, it was a one day shoot, one location, three cast of three, pretty easy, um, as far as those things go. And then uh, yeah, the second one was a bigger swing. It was a a two day shoot. That's the 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 sci fi drama. Um, I love that one because my my friends made the soundtrack to it. It's a like all custom. Like they made it themselves. I think they did a great job, and it's very atmospheric and moody. And uh, I, it's ambiguous. Like I know what a lot of it means. I guess the same way that like anybody who makes a film feels like they know what's in their own film. But I, I, I you know, people who watch it often have different reactions to it. Half the time, it's like outright confusion, but that's fun. Like I'll take it. And I love the performances. I love getting to work with uh, with the actors. They were great, and we shot on this beautiful. Um, like A-frame chalet in the Poconos. Um, so that was super nice. And then the third one is, uh, it's a mockumentary, and that was based on um, an experience I had growing up. It's another one where somebody probably fakes something for stupid reasons. Uh, and the third short's called Survivor, and it's about a, a college student who's in his hometown for the summer, and he's trying to remind everybody about when he like miraculously survived a mysterious attack in the lake six years ago. And it's just obviously BS. Like that's not a thing that happened. And he's, um, yeah. So I don't know, like dumb guys faking things for attention and thinking that they're doing it for good reasons. is like very charming and very, like very funny to me. I'm not, I'm going to be entirely honest with you. I feel like me trying to like convince people of something like that that happened years ago is absolutely something I would do. Love that it. just Thank did confirm. not happen at all. And I agree. <laughs> I think it's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm with yeah, you on I that. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I just, I love a character who's on one who they, they're, they're convinced that they're the main character of reality and that they, yeah. And they, they're going to go to like completely preposterous lengths because they assume they assume that the whole world's paying attention to them. Um, I love those types of characters. They're flawed and they're ridiculous and they're mo they can be harmful, obviously, but in comedies, they can be really harmless. And um, yeah, I just like love to have fun with them. Yeah, I love the amount of ways you can go with a character like that. And you're just like, they're so funny. 
<laughs> see what they're they're really next. funny. They're, yeah. they're so funny. They're just silly guys. Yeah, I love like that. it's like I, one else. Like I think I, I don't want to speak for other writers, but at least for me, like I I can I, I'm old enough now and I know enough about myself as a writer to be like, well, I understand those characters and I like making fun of them because like I see like even like a little bit of myself in them. Like I see like a different version of my of my life where. I might have never like woken up to the fact that like I am not the main character and there are other people having their own experiences and what's going on, you know, in their head is just as unique and interesting and different and complicated and weird as what's going on in mine. Um, some people I think there's never, especially people who are successful young, I feel like never really have that moment. And sometimes it can be like harmless, but sometimes it can be like catastrophic. Um, so I try to find the comedy in it because I, I do think it can be endearing and, and very silly. Now, do you take that mindset into when you're writing your music as well, that almost relatability to the characters that you're writing to develop those songs? A hundred percent. Yeah. I So we're, we're working on the second record now, um, which is considerably different than the first record. But the first record, um, and, I, and I, I kind of assume all the music that I'll make with this project. The first record really takes up like what I hope are complicated, but recognizably human characters. Um, I really wanted to write songs about people who feel very real, uh, who feel like people I grew up with or people in my family or people that I know, people that I love. Um, and cause I'm just from the suburbs and I, now I live in Philly and you know went to college have a job like it's this yeah it's it's not my life story is not like all that interesting but people and the people in it are i think just endlessly fascinating and they're often so much more fascinating than what i could make up from scratch um so yeah yeah i do i mean i talk i've I said a couple times already that I, I love a character who's just really on one and on the first lower at in a record, the the character who's on one, there's it's a it's a concept album about a family. The character who's on one is the mom. She's on this extremely disastrous psychic journey uh, that she kind of drags her family through over the course of the record. Um, and and unlike the short films we talked about, it is it is tragic. Uh, it's not. I have a little fun with it. I can admit there's some fun that I try to have on the record because some of the content. And I'm sure I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about that. But yeah, for the most part, it's 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 someone who's on one for for desperate reasons, uh, not necessarily the sort of egotistical ones that somebody who is successful at a young age might feel. It's someone who's later in life and lost and looking for meaning and purpose. Yeah, I can definitely appreciate like the idea of not necessarily creating characters, but using people as inspiration to inspire these uh, characters and stories because I think that does make it a little bit more relatable and a little bit more easy to look at and go like that's a character but it doesn't necessarily human. have to be a character yeah so I can I can appreciate that yeah I, I don't know, I have a couple thoughts on that I, I there's a lot of music and even in film too recently I think like there's a lot that kind of deliberately blurs the line between like what's real and what's not. Um, two examples, like I didn't, this is a cool topic, but I didn't plan to talk about it. So it's, I'm kind of off the top of my head here, but like two examples off the top of my head is like the Safdie brothers. 
like they just often cast actual people to play themselves in their films um so like obviously adam sandler's playing a character in uncut gems right he's not actually that guy but a lot of the from what i understand at least a lot of the cast members in that film like are actually from the diamond district in new york and they, they were just cast to play themselves um you know and they would shoot they would shoot in real settings like it wasn't always a controlled set like they would just take the camera and go and so you nece- i don't know you don't necessarily like know that watching the film but it does add like this like hyper realistic element where they've got a fictional character clearly inspired by by real characters in real environments in a fictional story right is just a lot of blurring going on Definitely and, um, a lot of layers to it. Yeah, yeah, and then music too. I mean, this is um, uh, the the most recent album from the Killers is like a total zag for them. It's like totally out of. It's a completely different change of pace, and it's like this, like almost a documentarian approach to the lead singer's hometown, and it's got interviews with real people, and then the interviews go into the songs which are fictional or at least or are inspired by real. So again, just totally blurs the line between what's literally real and what is like complete fiction. Um, and I love that. I really, I really like that space. So maybe before we jump into talking about the first album, tell us a little bit about how you got your start in music and started, uh, started writing. Yeah, my, uh, my way into music was writing. Uh, when I was in like fifth grade, I remember it was like reading time in Mr. Meekham's class. And I w- I held up a little marble notebook. I was like, can I write instead? And like, I don't know. I just had the bug from when I was really young. Um, and yeah, I loved, I love music because I love the lyrics and I love the stories. And that was kind of my way into making music. I wanted to, I wanted to make music that could support the stories that I wanted to tell. Um, I'm not like a monster guitar player or or anything like that. Like it's, I, some people express themselves through their instrument. I think it's like the most amazing thing in the world. It's also just like, I'm getting better at it, but it's still not my, my go-to, you know? Um, so that was how I started getting into it. And then uh, before the pandemic, um, me and my friends were in a band uh, called Honey Jar. We're still in a band called Honey Jar, but we're on we're on sort of a indefinite hiatus. Um, where we we just set out to make like the gooeyest, most pleasant soft rock that we possibly could, and I'm really proud of the result. We did we did one record uh, at least so far. It's called it's called Moonbeam. Uh, came out in 2020, I think. Um, and that kind of gave me the taste for like being in a band and live performance and and getting involved in like my, you know my local scene and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, that's the story of how I came to music uh, in general. It's always been it's always been an avenue for for storytelling for me. So when you started writing, like when you were in that class, were you starting to write and you were doing like stories, or was the the thought like things along the lines of like poetry and lyricism and stuff? I can tell you exactly what I was writing <laughs> and, and it's so embarrassing. No, <laughs> now you have to tell us. <laughs> oh, 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 I'm going to. Yeah. I don't know that I've ever really like cop to this. It was just Lord of the Rings fan fiction. Like I didn't, I, I didn't know Listen. that at the time, but that's, I, this is entirely what it was. I love <laughs> um, that. That's so good. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't, you know, I changed up the names, you know, and I changed up some of the, it's like, I was trying to like innovate on a theme, 
right? You know, but like I had wizards and I had hobbits and I had the whole, I had knights and the whole, the whole shtick. Um, I don't know. F- fantasy is like super, there's so many like obvious kind of rules or like norms to fantasy that like as a young kid interested in writing, fantasy is a pretty good genre because it's, it's very easy to recognize like what it is and uh, to play with the convention. So that was my, yeah. Oh no, for sure. I wrote like a trilogy of like, you know, three page short stories about about again characters that are just obviously ripoffs from lord of the rings and that was that was it that was the first like fiction i ever really dealt with i can't wait until we get either the the ep that is that or a short film that is your little fantasy world from fifth grade (laughs) oh you know uh maybe it's be maybe this is like i don't know i don't know what this is maybe it's it just ah I I wouldn't be surprised if at some point in my career I re- I reached back to do something with it just to like just to like make the fifth grader in me feel like proud, you know? Yeah, like that, that those ideas it. were worth something. Yeah. Just something a little goofy, a little like cheesy, you know, a little campy maybe, you know, just like the whole the whole shtick yeah. in a fantasy world. And I think that would have be it come good. full circle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it'd be fun. You could do the film and the soundtrack and do a whole bunch of stuff there. I, I do not want to talk myself into it on this podcast. <laughs> it's too, it's too we'll late. We'll workshop it. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it seems like, again, you've obviously come a long way from writing Lord of the Rings fanfic. Uh, and you were talking a little bit about your, your first album, Waiting for God to Turn on the Lights. Talk us through, I guess, like the story for you. And how you decided that was what you wanted to write about. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So waiting for God to turn on the lights is a concept album about a suburban family um, whose mom gets super into QAnon. And which for those who don't know, first of all, you're very lucky. Second of all, I'm not going to ruin that. QAnon is a sort of online conspiracy theory. Uh, I won't go any further than that. It's sort of an all encompassing conspiracy theory. Um, it's it gets quite dark. It's a really dark and it's also a very eccentric, ridiculous, um, sort of obviously nonsensical yep. conspiracy theory. Uh, it, it, you know, it goes to really, really dark places. Um, so that's what the record's about. It kind of follows this family as uh, as mom goes on her journey. Um, and uh, it was. The, it was the creative joy of my life to date to write and make the record. Um, I absolutely adored the development process and writing it and recording it and thinking a lot about the characters and the journey that they were on. Um, the reason I did it is because, you know, I saw people going through this. And I kind of have this theory that if a member of your family isn't getting like red pilled or going down the rabbit hole of sort of like online conspiracy theories. Um, like a member of someone, you know,'s family probably is like, I think it's a very prevalent thing that started happening before the pandemic. But then when the pandemic put everybody inside just was like gasoline. Um, and I think, I think a lot about, older Americans, because I think we, everyone kind of knows at this point that social media is not good for, I think our minds in general, but also like the development of young minds, like what is growing up with that due to a person's mind? Like 
maybe some good things, but like probably not all good things. But we don't talk a lot about the impact that it has on like older Americans uh, because they've gone their whole life without access to these kind of things. And now they have unbridled access to it, you know, and like, I'm sure, well, maybe you guys remember, maybe you don't, but like when Facebook started, it was like a hot thing for young people to do. Facebook is just the old people platform now, right? Like there was a change that had to happen there. Um, and we don't, we kind of like make fun of the change, but like, I actually think that there's something really like there's like catastrophic psychic damage going on uh, to a lot of families as a result of these changes. And basically no one does anything about it or talks about it. So the record is my attempt to at least talk about it, try to reach out to other people and say, I, I you're not alone. Um, you know, you're not the only person who's ever felt what you're feeling and there's community and camaraderie in that because we don't do that much of it for, at least not from what I can tell. There's not a lot of art that deals very directly and very honestly and vulnerably with what the internet and politics hand in hand, especially on the right, can do to a family. And with this age of the internet, everything being so readily available, it's whatever, you know, opinions that you have can be found as some kind of documented source somewhere um so i think it's a really interesting story to be telling because on both sides of it like it can happen yeah yeah for sure i, I the uh especially now thinking about like uh, ai um but as a writer i have a lot of thoughts about ai but but like the internet is increasingly like a box that can just produce whatever you want it to like it's just a it's just a mystery box that you can reach your hand in and pull out whatever you want, and um, people have different reasons for wanting different things, you know. And someone who's reached a certain point, speaking, you know, about about the record, someone who's reached a certain point in their life and they feel a strong degree of dissatisfaction or loneliness or unresolved childhood trauma, um, they might want validation and community that they've missed out on for years or maybe decades, and they can they'll go to dark places to find it. Uh, yeah, and again, like. Kind of no one talks about this all that much. Like, I think we talk about it in general. We we can kind of see these characters in, like, movies or TV shows, and they're always kind of like a punchline. And again, like, I try to have some fun on the record. Like, there are some punchlines. But for the most part, like, I really think that we would benefit as, like, a society from just talking about what's happening to millions of uh, our parents. And grandparents, for that matter. Yeah, I mean, I definitely I definitely think it's an interesting uh, and I guess like a fresh way to go about talking about these things, too, because I feel like there is like a lot of animosity in general. Like when people try to talk about these things, it becomes like a chaotic mess. So like you have things like, oh, you know, the coach pretends to kill himself for like a high school football team. And it's like you know, weird joke stuff. And then like, this is like, this is happening to so many people. So it's, it's good to have like a little bit of, I guess, empathy in regards to, to that kind of subject matter. Yeah. The, the needle that I tried to thread writing this was having empathy for the character, all the characters, it's a family of four. So I have empathy for all of them. But the mom is the one who's embracing really repugnant ideas and really, really 
uh, selfishly kind of dragging her family through a nightmare. So anyway, the the, my, the needle that I tried to throw was having empathy for for the characters, including the mom, but not sympathy for her ideas, right? And it's tough. It's tough because the character on this record, the mom, and people who embrace QAnon, they're embracing uh, really hateful, racist, disgusting uh, ideology. Um, they're not right. <laughs> they're they they're wrong to do that, and what they're embracing is destructive. They're still human beings, though, and they're they're gravitating towards that for a reason. Now, there's a line, right? Like, there's a there are total lines. Someone's mom getting red pill on the internet is not the same category as like a white nationalist, like an outright like right. So there's there's lines here, um, but and obviously, you know, red pilling online can lead to to that kind of thing. But I tried to write about the most common thing that I see, which is suburban families dealing with these things or not dealing with them just quietly in their homes. So I think we've, we've talked a, a good chunk about like the story and like the writing and kind of the message of the album. Um, I think we wanted to touch a little bit on some of the musicality of it. So walk us through, I guess, sort of like the style of music, how you got to that point. And I guess like just the development of the style of music in general. Yeah, for sure. So, okay. So I mentioned that I was in a band called Honey Jar um, that made, we did one record called Moonbeam. We put, we put Fleetwood Mac on the dartboard and we just threw darts until we felt like we hit Fleetwood Mac. Like that's, that, that was our process there. Uh, it was super fun. I made that record with some of like my best friends in the world and I am super proud of it. Uh, it's it was a great experience. I learned a ton. When it came to this record, um, so Honey Jar is on hiatus. I realized that I have making records a lot of work. <laughs> so so to me, like I wanted to make I wanted it to feel substantial. Like if I'm going to do a new project and a new record, I want it to feel. I don't want to just kind of like write ten songs and make them for the sake of making them. I wanted there to be like a larger kind of concept there that, that kind of justified all the work that goes into the record. Um, and I'll be honest, I didn't think all that much about the music itself. Um, at least not at first, uh, having done honey jar and having been involved in, in like other smaller projects over the years. Um, this was the first project that was like fully mine. Like I had the songs. I, did, I, I by no means did I make it by myself. I had a ton of help from like in, in really talented people, like very, very, very good friends of mine too. So I don't. It's not that I. It was entirely mine. It was just I was driving it. Right. I had the songs and, and the idea, and um, uh, I don't know. It's kind of like you. You have your whole life to make your first record. So it was just like um, I felt like I was really hungry and at a buffet like i was just like just go for everything i want and just like as much of it all the time you know uh so i uh i, I we talked about the killers earlier i am a shameless fan of the killers i love them uh i do not care how cringe it is and i know that it's cringe <laughs> um but i do i i love i love their music uh so i wanted to go i love springsteen a huge huge springsteen fan so i wanted to go for the like a big stadium rock sound like just i wanted to go big uh stadium rocky as you know as big as i can go with my macbook bro and my apartment in philadelphia but that's 
that's what I wanted to go for. But I didn't even realize until maybe halfway through the record that that's like what was coming naturally. Like I was just picking the sounds that I gravitated towards. Just oh yeah, like this, like, and I've never, I, I, we did, we did a lot of roads on the last one, but I'm doing like 80 synthesizers on this one. Like just cause it was like this purely joyous expression of like, what, what could, what could, what, what music would you make if you could make any music? And it's like, well, I think at the time I was probably 28 when I started and I'm like, all right, on balance, 28 years of enjoying music. This is the stuff I reach for first. And that's, that's kind of where, kind of where, kind of how that sound came out. And I did, as the songs got produced, you know, I tried to obviously write them artistically in a way that supports the lyrical content. But I should say that I, I often like songs that don't. I like really bombastic songs that tell like a very quiet, intimate story. And I also like kind of quiet songs that have like these like really profound, big um, lyrics. So there's some of that. I try to do some of that. But uh, but yeah, that's how I approach it. It was mostly just a mess. <laughs> it's a big learning experience. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely sounded like a lot of uh maybe like classic rock sort of inspiration is what i got so you said uh springsteen and i was like you know that is absolutely like what i was kind of hearing uh when listening through that album so i think like maybe not hit the nail on the head because you weren't really aiming for anything but you've come out with a really a really good um like recognizable sound from uh the whole process of it that's awesome. I thank you so much for sharing that with me. I'm going to take the Springsteen comment like so <laughs> deep into my heart. Um, yeah, especially the song Patriots. Uh, Patriots is, I think, the second to last song on the record. Uh, it can be summed up uh, in one sentence. And the sentence is mom does January 6th. Like, that's what it is. It's just mom storms the Capitol. Like, that's what the song is. And when I started thinking about that song, I was like, this has to be it it really ought to be like a sarcastic Bruce Springsteen song. Like it, it, it should be like, I want, like I had like monster trucks in my head and like big explosions, like this just like over the top American, like, like almost like Dionysian gluttony of just like a big rock and roll. And it's about like this suburban, I don't know, like 55 year old woman trying to overturn the results of the election. Uh, it felt like the right way to go. Um, yeah. You're right for that. <laughs> <laughs> now, is that the same musical development process you're taking into this second album that you're working on? Or do you have more of a, a like a different inspiration vibe that you're going for? Yeah, the next one is going to be a complete left turn. Um, like Love a it. total left turn. Yeah, I uh, I wanted to immediately just, just do it again. But one... Like, I think that sophomore slumps are a thing for a reason. Um, I, I really love the first record. I'm really, really proud of how it came out. I don't have a second one like it in me, at least not right now, right? Or at least not coming off the heels of of having done it. Um, and so I kind of had to accept like, okay, we're going to set that kind of idea a little aside of like a big record that tells a story from start to finish and like really leans into like huge stadium rock kind of sounds and instead for this record oh excuse me the instead for this record i wanted to write the 10 best songs that i could um and i want to keep them in one universe 
right? So it's still a concept album. A lot of the songs deal with similar themes or they reference similar locations. There are characters who may or may not interact with each other, but it's not one story from start from A to Z, like the first one is. And then sonically, um, it's completely different. It's going to have like a much more acoustic, like alt-country folky flavor to it. Um, and I, I, uh, I'm co-producing it with uh, my buddy Rich, who drummed on the first record. He's drumming on the second one. And he is the alt-country master among people that I know. So I show up and I'm like, okay, like this song's this song's good, but like, what if there was like a saxophone solo? And he's like, we're not, that's not, we're not doing that at all. Like we're, <laughs> we are not doing that at all. So it's been a great- Now yeah, hold yeah. on one minute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, LP3, the third one, we're bringing the sax. Um, uh, I hope, I would love to get some saxophone, but, uh, but yeah, yeah. The first, th this one is going to be, I think sonically very different. But my approach to the songwriting, I still am talking about, or I'm trying to talk about real people that I recognize uh, who are in tough spots and don't know what to do with what's uh, ensnaring them. Um, I kind of been talking about the second record is going to be called Pine. Um, and I've kind of been billing it as uh, a record about everything that happened to the kids you grew up with, but don't think about anymore. Wow. That, so tell us a little bit more about the universe that all these people are living in and how the concept of them maybe interacting, maybe not, but where, like, where do they stand in this, um, as characters in this world? Yeah. Uh, so they're, I don't know about almost all, I think about half, maybe a little over half the characters are queer 20 and 30 somethings and they're living in uh the pine barrens of south jersey so i you know i grew up um like kind of on the edge of the pine barrens which is this like sprawling pine forest uh that like dominates most of southern new jersey uh it's very beautiful and very um unique and like very uh it's just a huge part of my childhood um and it's it's interesting there's like the philadelphia suburbs then there's the the Pine Barrens, and then there's um, like the South Jersey beaches. Like that's kind of South Jersey. And there's a lot of like interesting and weird little cultures that come out of that because deep in the pines, you have generations of people who've lived in like, you know, like Tabernacle, New Jersey for years. And it's this like very small town. There is no like downtown. I don't actually know if Tabernacle has a downtown, but like, you know, there's not... These are like, you know, ex-urban and rural communities. Um, and then, yeah, the deeper you go into the pines, the more remote it is. It can get, it can get completely remote, you know? Uh, and then coming out towards the shore, you have like this edge where there's Pine Barrens culture that kind of like meets the Jersey shore. So you have these like woodsy types, like these like guys who grew up dirt biking and you know driving like Ford Broncos through the mud like and then in the summer like they also like love to get high on the beach and go surfing it's just like a very there are all these like little communities and so anyway um I wanted to to tell stories about the people like me um I'm not in those communities anymore but I grew up in one in, you know, I grew up in one or like at least adjacent to them. I know that world really, really well. I'm queer. 
And I often think a lot about what do you do if you're, what if you do if you come out at 32 years old and you're in the same town that you've ever, like only ever lived in and it's a population of like 3,500, you know, and you have like a part-time job, like, like, what do you do? Like, what's that? Like, you have to have an outlet for those emotions and for processing and going through those things, but it's the same place and the same people that you've always been. And you have to have new experiences, but maybe they're inaccessible and looking for like intimate connections with other people might feel like completely inescapable or uh, completely like unachievable. So it's, 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 it's mostly a record about loneliness. Yeah. I mean, that is, that is like a very prevalent thing, I think. And like, again, that I think your, your general gist for like storytelling and like making things seem real, like I haven't heard the album yet. And I'm already like, wow, this is like a, like a great concept for a set of stories to tell uh, because that does happen. And there are those people in these small towns that like might be afraid to come out that might not like be comfortable with the people around them. So it's, it's interesting and like really good to kind of give a voice to that, I think. And there's definitely a relatability to it. Cause you know, even not living in a small town, but still having that experience of you know, the inaccessibility that um, being in that same place for so long, there is still that relatable aspect that you can, you know, listen to and, you know, pick one of those characters and, you know, see yourself in them. Um, so when you were developing these characters, how, how were you developing them in a way that was, they are different from each other, but all experiencing that, you know, form of loneliness? Sure. Yeah, this is that's a great question. Um it's it's not an autobiographical record, but it is a record that I think draws from like chapters or moments in my life and and chapters and and moments of the lives of a lot of people I care about. Like I don't think that there's anybody in my life who will listen to this record and be like, "Oh my god, like how dare Dylan?" tell my like life story like i don't that's i don't think that'll happen but i wouldn't be surprised at all if, if people either that i i know and love or that are just from the same kind of place as i am um do feel like a song speaks almost too directly to to a moment just a moment in their life you know um that's a hope that's like that's a hope for the record is that i can actually connect with people in a meaningful way but a lot of it was a lot of it was inspired by by moments in my life um and uh, in, in sort of moments I can look at my friends and people I care about and say like, oh, looking back, you really went through something alone. Like, I, you know what I mean? We, we weren't together at the time. I was living somewhere else. And looking back now, like I see how that changed you and I see how you had to deal with that by yourself. And that must have been so hard. Um, and uh, a lot of the stories never get told because uh, people go through them alone and they just move on to the next thing because they because they want to. They want to get away from whatever they were dealing with. Um, but those are I, I think we all go through moments like that. So that's kind of that's kind of the approach I took in thinking about the characters. Some of it does just straight up draw from my life. Um, but mostly it's it's like little things I've noticed. Then I kind of took in a fictional direction to, to build it out now. 
I feel like between these two, like, again, they're obviously, like, very different, but there is a lot of, like, uh, emotion and empathy uh, being uh, written about throughout these two uh, albums. Obviously, you're still working on Pine, and that is uh, coming along, but is there any, like, stories in particular outside of what you've already written or are working on that you would be, like, really excited to tell? Like, oh, so stuff stuff I haven't, that hasn't, that's yeah. not in development or hasn't, like, seen The Light of Day yet? Like, that kind of thing? Yeah, 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 yeah. Other than the Lord of the Rings fan fiction, which <laughs> we have tabled for now. Yeah, yeah. We'll come yeah, back yeah, to yeah, that, yeah. you know. We'll come back. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I, I think I probably still have that notebook, if I'm being honest. Um, uh, uh, yeah, so um, my, uh, my, I've written a couple feature length screenplays, but my, my absolute baby is called, uh, the money game. Um, it was, a it was a screencraft drama finalist last year, or was at least in last year's competition, but it was announced in January. So whatever it's that people who know stuff read it and they, they liked it enough to call it a finalist. (laughs) Um, and, uh, which felt really good, obviously. Uh, and, um, that would be my dream project. The Money Game is a uh, drama that takes place over the course of a single night. Uh, that night is July 4th, 1972. And it's about a um, a game show host who is hosting a live taping of the their 4th of July live special. Uh, the game that he hosts is called The Money Game. And over the course of the film he's beset by different sort of onslaughts by different radical forces that are operating in America in the early seventies for different reasons. So, you know, one of the, um, one of the contestants is not who she claims to be. And one of them is a paid actor that, uh, the government is, um, uh, uh, it's a, there's propaganda involved, right? So there's all these different things at play and they all converge, on July 2nd, 19, I guess it's July 4th. I don't know. Uh, 1992, um, in this powder keg that eventually erupts, uh, and, uh, Duke, who's the host, his name's Duke Bjorn. He has to choose, um, between who he's been lying about being and who he actually is. That's what all these things force on him. And uh, that's the journey he goes on. But yeah, I adore that. I love that script. Um, it's been, it's definitely the, the, the story that I'm waiting to tell, um, and uh, yeah, I would love to get to do it one day. I mean, if you've already got it right and it's been a finalist in a like writing a competition of some sort, then like I feel like you are on your way to to getting that done. It feels it feels like <laughs> there is a lot of potential for that to We're happen. We're putting it out into the universe. Right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> Uh, well, I'm super grateful that it's out in the universe. Um, yeah, you know, here's the thing. It's it's very producible because uh, it, it all takes place in basically on the set of a game show, uh, a 70s game show. It's not even not even like a big, nice one. You know, um, I basically when I because I have thought about self-producing it. I'm kind of like, you know, basically any kind of like crummy high school auditorium could probably be transformed into like a, like a, like a seventies game show set with the right set pieces. And uh, there's a big, there's an ensemble cast 
And uh, there's a couple, like, for a good amount of the film, there's a crowd because it's a live taping. So these are things that kind of balloon the production budget. But uh, it, it, as far as film goes, it, it, especially, you know, feature films, um, it would be considered low budget. You know, it is doable. So, uh, yeah, I would I would love to. Um, it's There's a musical number. Uh, there's an explosion uh, there's students for democratic society. There's the black Panthers. It's there's, there's flashbacks to the Korean war. I, I, I love it. It's a big mess. Um, and it's a very, it's a very joyful script for me to spend time writing. It's, um, it's very funny that you said like there's a musical number because my next question was going to be like, is there music in it? And if not, would you consider writing a musical? 31 step ahead of you. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, you're <laughs> the idea. The money game, the musical is a wild idea that I haven't, I haven't thought about it all yet. Um, it's a really cool idea. Cause it's, it's already this sort of like, it's a little bit of a, it's, it's a little bit of like, tonally. It's very light for a drama, um, but it has like heavier themes and then it's very historically informed at dropping in a musical, like a bunch of musical numbers. Awesome idea. Really like it. Um, and also just cause, cause you brought it up, you know, I've had friends who have tried to tell me what well, they have told me that the, that waiting for God to turn on the lights, the first record should be a musical. And um, if I had the time, I think I probably would take a crack at it. Um, I don't, I don't have enough familiarity with stadium rock operas <laughs> to feel like totally confident, like just writing one, but I guess, I guess I could try, you know, but uh, yeah, I love musicals. I think it's a great idea. Yeah. I think that it would be sick. definitely worth, worth the shot to, to look into it because it's a story that is so relevant right now, but is also very much flying under the radar. Um, and just to give it that platform, I think would inform a lot of people, you know, that's awesome. I, I, I will definitely think about it. Can we, I know I kind of made this point earlier, but can we just dwell on what you just said for a second? You're so right in that, like, or like, like how crazy is this? That it is like, when I say I wrote a record about a mom who gets red pill on the internet, like eight people in a group of 10 will be like, Oh, I get that. Like they have some connection to it. And, and yet like we, there is no, there is no like awareness campaign. There's no like, Hey, like, are you like, continuing to maintain like a positive human relationship with your folks, despite disagree. Like, like, are you, how do we love each other? How do we love each other? Despite what the internet's doing to us. And there's, and we just don't like, there is no, we're just left to fend for it by ourselves. It's so crazy to me. And I think you earlier when you said like, that's usually the punchline of like the media that's out there about QAnon and about the, like that far right, you know, viewpoints is it's usually the punchline of a segment of a, so it's almost not taken seriously in a way that is affecting families on the day-to-day -day of those, you know, relationships and what the album showcases of, you know, this can be a nuclear, uh, this can be a nuclear, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, event for like a family to totally. have to go through. And how do people go through this and there, where is the community behind it? So I think this album really showcases the side that is not talked about and, you know, brings awareness to that there are people out there, that there are families going through this. And, you know, 
we often see it as a like, oh, that's a crazy thing they just posted on Facebook. But it's like, how is that impacting their family relationships, their close friends? Where is that? Where is the line that's like, okay, they need help? Yeah, yeah. I um, It's mystifying to me that there's not like a larger national conversation going on about it. Um, and uh, yeah, it's really sad that there's not. I'm going to share two kind of... Um, morbid thoughts they're morbid but they but they kind of explain the approach i've taken to like each of these records the first the first thought is that um there are seniors right like uh, elder americans who will die um having had politics and even to call it politics so it's not it's, it's we're so beyond politics but uh there are seniors who who will die having had what they believe that they read on the internet destroy their relationship with their children and grandchildren, and they'll die like donating money to like like Dinesh D'Souza's legal fund or something, and like their kids who don't talk to them anymore because they can't stomach it are then going to have to go through their estate and like see their bank statements and like okay like like see like all these things and it's so heartbreaking to me it's like the most heartbreaking thing in that I can think of. Um, so that is, and like that heartbreak is human. Like, like maybe someone can, maybe somebody can cope with that by saying just like, I don't know, by like very callously just being like, well, that's, that's who they were and like moving on with their life. But that's so like some, you're cleaving some part of you off, even a small part you're, you're, you're sacrificing for that to be what comforts you. Um, I think at the end of the day, it's still, you know, your mom, your dad, your aunt, uncle, somebody who has that relationship that like, I couldn't have been an easy decision to, you know, cut off that relationship. But sometimes you got to put yourself first and what is best for you and your family, you know, and it, oh. I can't imagine it being an easy decision, you know, regardless in any, in any situation. And it's not to say that a decision to protect yourself and your family by like cutting off relationship is wrong. Like I'm not saying that at all. Oh, right? Like at it's all. like it's it's just it's just the the thing that is wrong is the internet thing that we're talking about. Like it's not it's the thing that's it's the fear, right? That's preying on on these people. That's the problem. Um, it's uh, how you react to that, how you protect yourself. That is not the problem. Uh, that's you know. Um, yeah, it's so hard. So that that's so that's the sort of morbid thought that I think kind of frames why I thought that kind of flavors the empathy that I tried to get across on the first record. Um, the second one is much simpler, uh, which is that like throughout almost all of human history, uh, like most queer people die closeted. And that to me is loneliness. Like that is an eternal loneliness. Um, either knowing something about yourself your whole life and never feeling safe sharing it with somebody or being so scared of it that you don't even really know it yourself. Like maybe you do, but you, you can't, you just don't let yourself go there. Um, and taking that to your grave, like that is cosmic loneliness. Um, and, uh, and it, it just, I, I don't know, just statistically, like is the reality for most queer people who've ever lived. Um, so that kind of is the flavor of empathy that I want to hit for the second record, you know, uh, queer people we all come to our identities in different ways that's true of straight people too i think um but to not do that to live a life without ever doing it um would be among like the loneliest things i could fathom 
I I think the storytelling and emotion and uh just the way you write and like speak about these projects is so profound and important. And so I think it's safe to say that we are very much looking forward to getting to listen to Pine when it comes out and any other future project that you have in the making. It's definitely something that we're going to be looking forward to and keeping an eye out for. Sydney, did you have any other questions for the Lower Etna? So where can we find and follow you online and listen to all of your music? Yeah, so um, we should be on all streaming platforms unless you use like a one that I've absolutely never heard of. Um, uh, so just the lower Etna is the name of the project. And then Etna is spelled A-E-T-N-A. Um, it's the name of a lake in my hometown. That's I, I wanted the project to be a place where I could retreat to and feel safe exploring and being creative. So I named it for the lake I grew up by. Um, yeah, the lower Etna on all streaming platforms. And then uh, we're on Instagram. Uh, I'm going to tell you the handle in a moment when as I pull up my phone to confirm it. And then I'll tell you why I have to confirm it. Okay, we're on Instagram as uh, the lower Etna, all one word, underscore PHL. The lower Etna PHL. Uh, the reason I had to confirm it is because when the first record came out, we got banned from Instagram because the algorithm mistook it for being pro-QAnon. Hmm. Yikes. <laughs> you, you can imagine my, like, outright fury. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Hey. <laughs> hey, guys. Yep. Hey, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yep. Yeah. The lower retina underscore PHL on Instagram and then with the lower retina on all streaming platforms. Once again, Dylan Gallimore, lower retina. Thank you so much for being on with us today. It's been a pleasure talking to you. I have loved it. Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening to Little Known Tracks. If you or a loved one want to be featured, send us an email at littleknowntrackspodcast at gmail.com. Also, feel free to follow us over on Twitter and Instagram at LKTPod for more information about the podcast when episodes come out and occasionally giveaways and things of that nature. Thank you again for listening. See you next week.